excuse me, I just, I'm laughing at myself because I just grabbed two songbooks while I was walking up here, so uh, that's why I was kind of tickled. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, that's where we're going to be beginning this evening, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. It's good to see you all again this evening. I hope that you've been encouraged so far as we've just been able to worship God and uh, be able to be with one another. Um, regarding that idea of being with one another, I do apologize for both this morning and this evening. I haven't really been socializing as much with everybody uh, as I usually do, but that's because there's a new addition, and I have not been able to socialize with her as much as nearly as much as I have with the rest of you. So, trying to make up for lost time, but. Uh, it is very good to see uh, both, um, well, the whole family here, but little Paisley as well. I was really, I really, I had a beautiful thought this morning that I just wanted to share with you. If you're in the adult class, you know that Brother David is the one who's teaching the Bible class, going through that devoted to prayer material. And I just thought it was such, it was so fitting that the first Bible class that Paisley was a part of and got to hear was uh, one that her grandfather was teaching. And so... I just, um, it touched me, and uh, I'm not going to think about it much more, otherwise I may lose it. So, uh, Acts chapter 4, take from, that, take from that what you will. I just thought it was a beautiful thought, and um, it, incidentally, I think it is something that lends itself to what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is the topic of encouragement. Uh, this is something that's been on my mind for quite some time, and one of the reasons is because um, I just, it's, encouragement is something that I feel like we need to be so busy about. And one thing that we never, ever forget to do when it comes to our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, within the local body, this body where we are trying to build one another up and where we're trying to strive together to get to heaven. We're trying to reach that together and help each other get there. Uh, and one of the things that is most important, I think, is encouragement. I love what Brother Stephen Russell says, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um, but I love the, the little phrase, you know, encouragement. It's like showers. You need them every day. And I think that's so accurate. We need uh, that constant reminder, whether it be through the scriptures, whether it be from a brother or a sister in Christ. We need that constant uh, boon. Because we certainly live in times where it's very easy to be discouraged. You turn on the TV, doesn't take very long, especially if you're watching the news. You just flip on your phone and you get on social media, I think it may take even less time to get discouraged. Um, and so there's just so many different ways that we can be demoralized and just lose our fervor and our steadfastness and our long-suffering. But, so that's why we need to focus all the more on this idea, not just of finding encouragement for ourselves, but especially encouraging others. In Acts chapter 4, you meet a man named Joseph. And he is an interesting character because very quickly, as soon as you meet the man, you get this nickname that the apostles gave him, and it was Barnabas. And you all know who that character is, especially as, as people who study their Bibles, you know that this in Acts chapter 4 is where we meet this man named Bartimaeus, and they named him that because it meant son of encouragement. Now you think about that, and that is beautiful. That is um, a very impactful uh, name to be given specifically because of your character and specifically because of the work that you are doing, not just, just you know, 
doing whatever, but inside the kingdom. I think that that is very moving. Um, and so that's what I want to focus on specifically is Barnabas and what we can see from him, what we find in him, in his characteristics, in his work ethic, in all of his labor. How can we be sons and daughters of encouragement? How can we help? And, and listen, when I talk about these things, you know, all this has universal application. But especially think about how we can help the people in this room, the family of God, which meets at Lakeside. Again, universal application. And so take it, you know, whenever you're visiting, whatever. But especially with regard to the people here. How are we doing to encourage our brother and our sister in Christ? How are we doing when we are trying to, to motivate them daily, on a daily basis, with the same amount of effort that we would with flesh and blood? Are we giving the same amount of effort and energy as we would flesh and blood? Um, and so just want to look at a few things that made Barnabas a son of encouragement so that way maybe we can take some of those things on better help one another. And I will just say that in the bulletin, both articles are specifically um, have to do with this topic of encouragement. Um, and so I, I think uh, Brother, Brother Hall's uh, articles there are also very helpful if you haven't seen those or read through those already. But first of all, I want to go to Acts chapter 4 where you actually meet Barnabas. Acts chapter 4. From the very beginning of what we see in his ministry and his work of love, uh, we find that he was sacrificial. That he sacrificed for the church, that he sacrificed for God, he sacrificed for his brethren. Um, first of all, Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Let's begin by reading verse 32. It says, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of, of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And so here's a beautiful picture of what the church should be. A group that is dedicated to, first of all, God, and then obviously his people. Um, and so then you come down to verse 36, and you see a very good example of what we were just talking about in Acts uh, 4 and verses 32 to 35. It says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated me means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I will just say, I'm sure that this had something to do with him being called a son of encouragement. Because this is a rather big, a big, um, uh, not spectacle. I, Barnabas is not someone who would have done this in such a vain way like you see at the beginning of chapter 5. But this wasn't the only thing that shows how invested he was in the church. It, it, he uh, is a very good example of one who gave much of himself for the good of his brethren. And we're going to see that all throughout. But maybe this is one of the main points that I want to just hammer in throughout this study is the notion that he truly, sincerely was invested in the church. He was invested in God and he was invested in the church and he put much into it. And so, uh, it, it, and, and it clearly goes beyond just giving money. Mo giving money does not mean that you're invested. So just because we give a contribution, that does not mean I'm good. It's kind of like what we were talking about this morning. Just because we give something, that doesn't mean that we're just all of a sudden we're in a right relationship with God. That's, that's a 
poor example that Israel provides for us throughout their history. So we can't just give money to, to the Lord's church and then say, well, I guess everything's good till next week, and then I'll be able to pay my fee to be in his good graces. No. Rather, that's just a poor understanding of what the contribution is, and that's a lesson for another time. But you even see at the, at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, on the heels of such a good example of what one is supposed to do, how you are truly supposed to invest in the church, you have a group of people, or a couple, you have Ananias and Sapphira, who come together and literally... Um, uh, strategize to lie to the church, to lie and try to look good in front of many and say that probably, I would say probably in connection with Barnabas, say, well, look at, look at what Barnabas just did. Now look at what we're doing. And it would have been fine had they kept some of that for themselves. And, and I mean, it would have been fine. The problem was they lied about it. The problem was they did it for vain reasons. And so just because we give money or we give even time that does not mean that we're truly invested. It does matter what is in the heart. And, and you know, maybe sometimes we, it's just a matter of we need to cultivate the right attitude. We need to cultivate the right affection and, and zeal in the heart. That takes time. But at least we can start with something. But if there is nothing and if there's no desire, that's not real investment like you see with Barnabas. He truly gave much for the church and for uh, his fellow uh, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not only that, but when it comes to sacrificing, he let go of things that he did not have to. Over in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you might just mark uh, Acts, because we'll be going back there several times. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> Here is not Barnabas speaking, but Paul speaking, and he uses both himself and Barnabas as an example. And I think... Uh, very clearly making a case here of the kind of sacrificing that they did not because it was forced and not because it was absolutely necessary it, it was commanded them by God no rather they did this for their brethren in verse 3 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 beginning in verse 3 it says my defense to those who examine me is this do we not have a right to eat and drink do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers uh, of the Lord and, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? And so he uses both him and Barnabas to suggest there are things that we have not been able to to uh, utilize. There are blessings that we could have that we have not taken for ourselves. And specifically, he talks about marriage, and you even kind of see him talk about marriage uh, more just a couple chapters prior in chapter 7. Uh, but, but they have done these things so that way they can work even better in the kingdom for their brethren and for God. But then you go down to verse 11. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure. And that's a key word as you think about uh, what it means to encourage, and especially with sac in a sacrificial way. We endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And so he gives you the reason. It's not because this was forced on them. It's because they decided, I want the best for this church. I want the best for this group of people. And you know what? They dealt with many different groups of people. They dealt with many different churches. We're going to look at a few instances throughout the study tonight. But I, 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 I say all that to say, 
even though they had many groups that they were, had invested much in themselves, they didn't therefore write one off because, well, we have these other five that are working well, I guess we'll just take that. No, they didn't want to, they didn't want to hinder anyone, even if it was for silly, petty reasons. They didn't want to hinder anyone from obeying the gospel or, or, from, uh, or, or giving them a stumbling block in their relationship with God. And so they did put much into their work, they put much into the church, and they gave up a lot, um, specifically, specifically for their brethren. Well, not only that, but you also, um, going over to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, that very familiar passage where it talks about the notion that we are to bear one another's burdens. That's a commandment. And that's a commandment that's given to all Christians. And I think you see this um, so well in the lives of people like Barnabas and, and Paul and the rest of the apostles. I think you see it just depicted so well because they do give up much and they endure, endure much suffering and affliction um, specifically for their brethren. But going over to Galatians chapter 5, just a few verses prior, it takes a sacrificial mindset to bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5. So just a little bit prior to when he says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. He uses this kind of language every now and then. You see it in Galatians chapter 5. You see it in uh, Romans chapter 13. Um, and th this notion of fulfilling the law. And especially how love fulfills the law. And I want to make this connection because how do you bear one another's burdens? Well, you've got to be willing to sacrifice as we're hopefully going to see in the next couple of passages but you also need to be willing to uh to uh love and incidentally love brings much sacrifice galatians chapter 5 in verse 13 beginning it says for you are called to freedom brethren only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So there's two options here. One, you bear one another's burdens. One, you love your neighbor. You love one another. Or two, you consume one another. You bite and devour until ultimately there's nothing left. And, in, and honestly, that is the only two conclusions. Uh, even, even if you look at it from uh, the point of stagnancy, complacency, or idleness, eventually... That church dies out, and I think it, it, even for the same kinds of reasons, because there is a lack of love there, and there needs to be love. Otherwise, we won't sacrifice anything. You don't sacrifice. You don't give up anything unless you love somebody, uh, unless there's some level of affection or compassion there whatsoever. Um, you know, especially when you think from a very, especially from a worldly mindset, you would never give up anything for an enemy. You would never give up anything for an opponent. And why is that? Because you have nothing but hatred for them. Um, and so we need to be cultivating love, not that we're taking, not that we're trying to emulate worldly uh, attributes, not by any means. But what we need to do is learn from that and therefore cultivate a love within ourselves so that way we can, like Barnabas, encourage by being just as sacrificial. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, another very familiar passage I know but one that we need to be continually reminded of. Just like Peter uh, says, I'm not afraid to remind you of these things. It, it, it's these things that you need to know and continually remember. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4, beginning, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's a hard one. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and yet again, endures all things. Just take a moment and think about all the things that Paul says love is. I don't think there's anybody in the room tonight, and rightfully so, that would look at this list and say, I've got all of that covered. Not to say, not to say that you may not have a, a good portion of this or even a majority of this list you know, kind of, kind of down. I don't want to think about it in the checklist terms, but, but not to say that all of this is foreign to you. But there are definitely things that we can work on. And I think especially this is the most universal struggle that we all have when it comes to love, and that is bearing a wrong. That is being defrauded. Not, not, not just being defrauded, but accepting that. Specifically to make sure that we keep some level of peace, that we promote peace with our brother even though they may have wronged us, as he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he even, he even questions them, why would you not rather be defrauded? And he asks the question just to indicate that this, even though you are being hurt and betrayed to a degree, this is still much better than retaliating. This is still much better than acting just like the rest of the world. You need to act like Christ, and you need to have that love, and you need to learn to endure during even, yes, some of those betrayals. That's what love looks like. That's what sacrificial love looks like. It looks like, uh, it, just, it looks like the love of Christ. As you see in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, you see exactly what that costed Christ to love, uh, to love us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us and offering an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What did that love cost him? Cost him his life. Is, is there really anything short of that that would be too much for us when it comes to loving our brethren and when it comes to sacrificing for them? Now, I go through all of this just to make the point that you need this kind of love if you're going to endure, if you're going to be able to sacrifice. Because we're not just talking about giving we're not just talking about, you know, giving up time and giving up effort, but we're also talking about giving up pride because there will be times when even though we're trying to help, even though we're trying to encourage, even though we're trying to build up and do our job, that brethren will hurt us. There will be times where brethren even stab us in the back. That's the reality. But we have to be able to, to look at the love of Christ and emulate that imitate that and even sacrifice the pride sacrifice the comfort of of uh, you know being uninvested because it will take something when we do it invest ourselves in that way now you have someone you know when you talk about being that kind of invested you have someone who a brother or sister who just who does who needs help with something over a weekend and you have some brethren some people who will just look at that and say well <laughs> weekend's my time that's my free time, and that's when I get all my energy back. That's when I recuperate. I'm not, I'm not giving that up. You're going to have to find a time that fits my schedule. Is that a sacrificial love? No. And in fact, haven't there been times where you 
have needed sacrificial love coming your way, I'm, I'm in a bind here. And I have no idea. There's nothing else for me to do. All I have is to rely on brethren. And this is something that I, I frequently talk to people about, especially when you look at people who have, who have been a part of the church, who have been a part, who have given themselves to God, and they have a relationship with God, and then they leave it. And then they suffer so much. And you just wonder, how long is it going to take for, for the prodigal son to, to wallow in the muck and the mire before he decides it was better for me in my father's house? And, and, I, and, I've, and I've talked to people several times about how I just don't understand how they can't look back and remember the relationships that they had. Remember the help that they had. Because if they were in this situation and they, were still, and they still had a relationship with God and hadn't broken fellowship with Him, then they would not be alone. But they are because they gave it all up. They sacrificed the wrong thing. Now, we need to be willing to sacrifice, but all of the worldly things, all of the material things, whatever it may be for, for our brethren uh, and, and for their well-being, for their growth, for their encouragement. And so being sacrificial, that is a big part of, of being a son of encouragement, trying to build one another up. Well, not just that, not only was he sacrificial, but he also consistently and just always was lifting people up. He was specifically brethren. He was always trying to build and strengthen uh, his brothers and sisters. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, this is the chapter where you find uh, Saul of Tarsus, he's converted. He is actually one that has been very active in the persecution of the church. In fact, um, it kind of seems like he is one of the main reasons that the church has to scatter in Acts, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. But in Acts chapter 9, he is met by Jesus Christ and he is blinded by the light. And a certain disciple named Ananias comes obeying the word of the Lord. And he tells Paul exactly what he needs to do to be saved. And he does that. Now, Paul still has a lot of a reputation, doesn't he? Even though he has been saved, he is now a Christian. He's still done a lot. And he is infamous because of all the things that he has done, all, all the wrongs that he has done, all the sins that he has committed, and terrible sins. So you'd think that would be something that hung over you. And he was having trouble uh, trying to join with the disciples, join with the people that are now his family. And he's having trouble, and it's specifically because of this infamy. And, and you look at that congregation, and you're just like, I, I mean, we're just trying to make, I, I don't know. I'd be kind of curious as well. I want to make sure that there's no wolf in sheep's clothing trying to come in and trying to kill us all. But what happens? Barnabas advocates for Paul. He goes, and he takes Paul, and he, and he essentially vouches for him. What a, and what a beautiful moment. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 19 beginning, it says, And he took food and was strengthened, or, uh, at, the, at the end of verse 19, Now for, for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. This was after the fact he had been, uh, become a Christian. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. So a complete repentance. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. 
When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot made, became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus, Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Verse 31 is a key verse in this passage. Look at all of the benefit. Look at all of the good that has been done by not just Saul, but Barnabas as well. Saul encouraged these brethren and Saul was confounding the Jews and Saul was doing much and look at how vital therefore Barnabas's role was in Saul's life because I don't know without Barnabas who knows if they would have accepted him but here is a man who is a son of encouragement who comes and he advocates for, he goes to bat for Paul and he says this he is a true disciple and look at all of the growth and all of the just beautiful excitement in the church I, Acts is a wonderful study it is, no, it is nothing but encouraging. And, and, and so, no, he, he, this is not the only person he's ever advocated for. I will just say before we move on, and, and just realize how much had been done specifically because of that one act of encouragement and building up of, of Saul. It, it even says in verse 31 that they enjoyed peace and they were being built up because of all of those things. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. When Barnabas talked about Saul of Tarsus, and when he talked to other people, uh, and they were talking maybe about his past, how do you think Barnabas spoke about him? Do you think that he was kind of gossiping in the background? Do you think that he was kind of like, oh, man, you should have seen him when I, when I saw him? You, I mean, you don't even know the half of it. I don't think Barnabas was like that, specifically because he was nicknamed by the apostles a son of encouragement. I think when someone came, if someone would come to Barnabas and try to start something like that, start really just backbiting and, and, and try, trying to hurt, really, a brother in Christ, I think Barnabas would respond with, again, encouragement. Uh, that's a brother in Christ. Uh, yes, exactly. Look at all of the things he's done. I think he would just repeat the words of Paul himself when he says, you know, someone would, some would bring up his past, some would bring up that he is the chief of sinners. And I think Paul's just essentially like, I know. And look what Jesus has done. Look at how he has changed me. And look at all of the, all of the uh, look at how his grace is shown powerful just through my example. Paul never, never was, was proud of his sins. He never even uh, tried to say, you know, it is better that I did, that I was such a sinner, that I persecuted the church in such a way, that I persecuted Jesus because of that. He would never say that, but what he does say is, like we also studied earlier this morning, look at what Christ can do. He points at himself to say, I, I am the best example you have of someone who can be radically changed specifically because of God's grace. And I think Barnabas, Barnabas would, res would respond the same kind of way. 
And I just want to ask, when people, when you hear people talking about other brothers or sisters in Christ at Lakeside. Now, I don't know if this happens, but I'm not thinking of anything. But but if you heard someone talking about another brother or sister in Christ in a demeaning kind of way, instead of going to them and talking to them, how would you respond if they came to you? I'm not saying that when you when someone comes to us like that, that we just we let them have it. What I am saying, though, is we respond like a son or a daughter of encouragement. Uh, Listen, I I don't know anything about that, so I'm not going to speak on it. There was actually a woman who was an elder's wife one time who, uh, being an elder's wife, she would know uh, many things that happened within the congregation and many problems, incidentally, that would be occurring within certain families, certain men or women, whatever the case may be. And, you know, one woman came up to her and she said, hey, what's going on here? Can you tell me a little bit about that? And she just simply said, I don't have anything to say about that. I thought that was a pretty good response. I mean, she knew. She had knowledge. But I don't have anything to say about that. Because one, that's not my role. Two, that, that's not my place. And three, what good is it going to do? Now, if we want to talk about someone who is going astray so that we can bring them back, that's another thing. But just talking about someone in a demeaning way, if all we ever do is complain about someone but never go to them, I don't think that's the right approach. And so we need to be like a Barnabas. We need to be a son of encouragement and speak about one another in in very graceful and and merciful and loving ways. Not only that, not only did he advocate for Paul, but he advocated for Mark. Mark was someone who didn't do nearly as much as Paul, but he did still desert the work. He deserted Paul and Barnabas at one, at one point. And, and, and so in Acts chapter 15, you see that Paul and Barnabas, they want to go and they want to see the churches that they had been to before. They want to try and encourage them. Acts chapter 15. And a dispute arises among them both. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Acts 15 and verse 36. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the, visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, here's an interesting situation. That even Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they ended up taking the other person with them on their journey. Incidentally, I don't think that this is an example, just a side point. I don't think that this is an example of of maybe a sinful encounter here. I think that this was a matter of judgment. now, you even see Paul at the end of, uh, closer to the end of his life, incidentally, after much time has passed, and much time has passed for Mark to kind of redeem himself, and, and I use that term I, to kind of prove himself that he's not, not going to flake out. He's not, he is sincere about this. He's not going to desert again. After time has passed, he even talks about Mark and says, he's, he's a boon to me spiritually. He's an encouragement to me, and he has he is much help in my ministry. And so it's not like this stays here forever. But I do think this is an example of where you, both people have different judgment calls. They make different judgment calls, and they go about their business that way. Now, I think much good is done in both cases. 
Now, again, Paul is going to look at Mark later on in life as, as one who he thinks is an encouragement to him. But I want to specifically focus on Barnabas' role here. Who better, who better to lift a man back up than Barnabas? To lift someone like Mark up than Barnabas, a son of encouragement who could, you know, he understands, he understands the sins that this man has committed. He understands how he was weak in one case. But what is he doing? He's bringing him with him again, and he is showing him, look, we can do this together. What he's doing is he is striving with him. He is trying to encourage his brother, and he's trying to push his brother into, in, into growth. And he's trying to push his brother into the work of the kingdom. That doesn't mean that we're never going to be discouraged, even by those brethren. But he never seems to give up. Now, I, ultimately, don't take away from this as we go throughout this study that I'm saying that Barnabas was perfect. He wasn't. In Galatians chapter 2, there's a great warning for us that even someone like Barnabas can fall. Incidentally, he doesn't stay there. But specifically, as you think about how he advocated not just for Paul, but also for Mark, someone who deserted like that, what, what is some application we can take? When someone messes up, maybe even at Lakeside, how are you going to interact with them? <clears throat> Are you going to look at them and say, well, look what the cat dragged in. You, you just have no shame, do you? You just walk in here like nothing's wrong. And are, are we really going to respond like that? Actually, honestly, in our culture today, I think most people are even afraid to talk like that because confrontation in and of itself, uh, at least in society today, is almost deemed as sinful. But you understand the point that I'm making. Are you going to look at someone who has clearly made a fool of themselves and has brought shame to themselves, but walks through those doors and sits down in the pew because they know that this is where they're supposed to be? Are we going to demean them or are we going to say, I'm so glad you're here. This is the best place for you. There was a brother one time actually who came forward and he, he, had, he was just so discouraged. He was demoralized from just, just how life had been going. And he came forward and he basically, he, he confessed that he had had some very malicious thoughts in his head, thoughts of hatred and, and thoughts of violence. And he just, he, he, started to, he started to weep. He started to cry. And at one point he just said, I don't think I even, I don't even think I should be here. He started to walk out. I walked to the back with him and I started talking with him. Uh, the, 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 the service went ahead and started, but I started talking with him and I said, listen, I know, I know, and I understand why you feel like you shouldn't be here. I completely understand. You've made, you've, you've, you're ashamed of yourself. You're ashamed of your actions, but this is the best place for you. And we could look at all kinds of scriptures, but let me just say this. There is not one person in this auditorium that when they look at... <laughs> their life and look at all the things that they do that would dare say when we are worshiping to a pure and all holy God that we would say about ourselves I deserve to come before him I deserve to be in his presence no, no none of us really deserve to be here but God wants us here at our best and he wants us here at our worst and everywhere in between so sit down <laughs> and Thankfully, he stayed, and I was so grateful for that, and I was so proud because I, I think he just showed how you can, how, how absolutely demoralized you can get, and yet 
how you can be encouraged just simply by being with brethren. And it turned out just for the better after that. And so how are, are we trying to encourage people even when, when they have failed? Are we using uh, speech that's seasoned with salt? Are we, or are we just trying to demean them? Are we just trying to hurt them and throw their sins in their faces? Guess what? The latter, that is not something that we have the right to do. And so if that's what we're doing, we need to cut that out. We need to be speaking in love to one another. So the question is, how do you speak about brothers and sisters in Christ? Not only how do you speak about them, but how do you speak to them? Just think about that. We can't just try to tear each other down. We need to build one another up. And there are certainly ways that help that and other ways that really hurt that. And I think we're smart enough to know uh, how to discern the two. Well, finally, the last point over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. You see also that Barnabas was someone who just, he, he, he brings brethren together. He brings brethren closer together. Um, over in Acts chapter 11, in verse 21. Acts chapter 11, verse 21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This was already a, a, a group that had it started to grow. In verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them uh, all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Uh, And then you see that he even leaves for Tarsus to get Saul, and he brings Saul back. And here in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas do much. Um, now, when looking at the church at Antioch, what you find very quickly is that they would have been an extremely diverse church because this was at a, a, a seaport, and, and I think this is probably, well, no, I think this is one of the reasons why they were able to help Jerusalem and the needy saints during the time of the famine because they were at a seaport. That means that they had much more uh, ability to, to provide for themselves and to provide for others. Everything came, all, all the trade went through uh, that city. And so they were able to help because of that. Now, again, because of that, they were a diverse church. And I just ask the question again, who better to send to a diverse church where you have a lot of, because diversity brings different habits and mindsets, uh, 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 not just different, but clashing habits and mindsets. So who better to send to a, a place like this than Barnabas? Now, I... No matter where you go, we just have to understand, you walk into a diverse building no matter where you go. Uh, When we were in Buckhorn, there were a lot of people that were locals. But even there, you have diverse cultures, like subcultures, just within families. And even people that grow up together, even when you have grown up your whole life together, you can get into little quibbles that turn into big things, and it's simply because of these clashing you know, judgment calls or clashing mindsets. Now, ultimately, I think there's a pretty good way to get over that, and spoiler alert, it's in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go there in just a moment. But I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 11, Paul, as he speaks to the, the, the church in Thessalonica, 
He says in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. So continue in this. This is a good work. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now look at what he says at the very end of verse 13. Live in peace with one another. How is that done? In verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now again, you're going to need patience whenever you come into a diverse group. Uh, and you're going to need patience when you are around people who, don't, who live, just simply don't live in your own household. There's always going to be diverse opinions. Uh, and when I'm talking about diversity, that's what I mean. There's always going to be diverse thought processes. I'm not, even, I'm not talking about racial or ethnic, whatever. You're still going to find that regardless. But I'm talking about the things that actually matter. The diversity when it comes to just the judgment calls and the opinions that we sometimes have, things that really make us clash. Now, incidentally, the things that he talks about in this passage we just read in 1 Thessalonians 5 is the idea of building up one another, encouraging each other. And a part of encouragement is promoting peace. And I would suggest that if you don't have a people that are striving to encourage one another, you won't have peace. Uh, I think that is a part of the formula. And if it's missing, nothing good comes of it. Um, and so, and also you just think about how, how Barnabas brought people together. Just think about what he did for Paul and Mark alone. He brought brethren together when it would have been easier to just leave them be. Well, he brought brethren closer together through that, but he also did so simply, and excuse me for you know, being grammatically incorrect, but he did so by being a faithful example. And when I say that, I mean he was full of faith. That's actually what the text says in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. It says that he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. So, I think that that is a very interesting thought. That it is faithful men. It is men who really uh, are a good example of what faith looks like. And, and fervent devotion and zeal looks like. Their example is infectious. Their example tends to be, um, it tends to have a very positive effect. At least on many in the car, not maybe not all, but at least many. Um, I think Paul just kind of emphasizes this at the very beginning of Romans chapter 1 as he usually begins his epistles he tends to talk in such a way as to say you know, I, I've been praying for you, I never forget you in my prayers I, I, I thank God for you every day but in uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 he says for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith both yours and mine and so when we are just striving to be faithful, when we are just striving to be loyal to the king and work in his kingdom, that, that causes uh, people to, to be strengthened spiritually. When people see that, when people see uh, someone that they are close to doing that, or at least really striving to do that, I think that that tends to bring um, much encouragement within a group. And so... I know that we tend to be so focused on me being encouraged, and we do. Each of us need encouragement, but we need to focus on noticing others that need encouragement as well. And so we need to be striving to be this kind of example like Barnabas, someone who is, who is trying to encourage the brethren. Well, finally, I think um, 
Barnabas just simply had the mind of Christ. And I think that's why he was so effective at encouraging people. In Philippians chapter 2, as we were just indicating a moment ago, in verse 1. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How are, how are, how are we supposed to achieve the same mind? Well, in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. How, how do we all come to the same mind? How do we all come to the same, uh, the same foundational, fundamental thought processes? You look to Christ and you, you imitate him. You get the mind of Christ. And you try to put that on. That is how we attain that unity. That is how we encourage one another. And that is the only way that we will be able to have this kind of love that he talks about that can endure, that does encourage, and that uh, has this kind of affection and compassion that's supposed to come with being a part of this kingdom, a part of this family. Um, we could look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. For lack of time, we're not going to tonight, but, but you just read through that afterwards and look at all of the things that Paul says. Remember how Ephesians chapter 4 starts. He says there's one church, one body, one Lord, one, one baptism, one everything, all the ones. And then he goes on to talk about these different um, facets of, of the body and how we are supposed to build one another up. And you look at verses 25 through 32, there's a lot of things there. All of that is required. All of that takes constant effort. But the final passage I want to leave you with is Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Barnabas had this characteristic. He had the mind of Christ. He was a faithful example. He, and because of this, I think he was able to promote peace among even much diversity. Can you imagine what, what we could look like if every single person... Now, I know that... that it's an individual choice. And I know some people just aren't nearly as extroverted as others. I get that. Can you imagine if you had people that were so devoted to encouragement and so zealous in that field that, that we just never shut up to each other, just constantly building one another up and constantly stimulating one another to love and good works. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another. In honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, con contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. I love especially in verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence. The notion being, we're almost being competitive in trying, I, well, I want to show you more honor. Oh, how terrible a situation that would be. <laughs> so I just want to ask the question, are you lagging behind? Maybe you are. You don't have to stay there. I, I hope that throughout this uh, study, I have encouraged you to the point where you understand you don't have to stay in that uh, inactivity or idleness. You can grow. We all can grow, and we can do so together. What a beautiful thought that is. But we can only do that through God's word. We can only do that through the scriptures. Barnabas, as, you, as I've mentioned before and as you can read in the articles, Barnabas was not a spectator. He was a zealous, active participant. What about you? Do you feel like you've been just as zealous and active? 
I will say, if you're a Christian, I understand sometimes it, it is very easy to just stay in that discouraged state. But we just can't. We're, I don't think that we're necessarily allowed to. We need to bring it to God. And like Elijah, we need to just keep on going. Even when things get really hard and look impossible, we have to keep striving to do God's will, work for the kingdom, and encourage our brethren. Because just like Elijah, who was discouraged because he thought he was the only servant left, how many people do you think at that time thought the same thing? They need that same encouragement that he did. Now, let me just say, there will, you will remain discouraged forever if there is sin remaining in your life. And so the question is, are you willing to let go of that sin? Are you willing to do everything that God has required of you to obey him fully? And to, to uh, be, are you willing to become a part of his kingdom? If you are, would you let, let us help you with that tonight? Come forward as we stand and as we sing.